morning we bring to a close our study of the book of Philippians. And we conclude with a lesson on contentment. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to focus on verses 10 to 13. As we looked at the larger context last week, today we focus on these verses that deal with contentment. To experience contentment is both the duty and the privilege of the child of God. It's the duty of the child of God as found in 1 Timothy 6, 8. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. And it's also the great privilege of the child of God. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we can be content in knowing that God will always provide for us, there will come no end to his provision. So as we talk about contentment this morning, we begin by asking the question, what is it? For I imagine there are many different expectations when we talk about being content. And as we work through this passage this morning, I I hope that we have a uh, better grasp of what it means to be content. Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan, wrote a classic book on contentment entitled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And he defines contentment as follows. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet frame of spirit which freely submits to God and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. That's a great definition. I have one that's a little shorter, simpler. And that is contentment is the willingness and ability to do what God asks of me with the resources that he provides. Let me say that again. Contentment is the willingness and ability to do what God asks of me with the resources that he provides. To give you the context, if you weren't here last week, Paul is rejoicing in the gift that the Philippians have provided him. But Paul is rejoicing not simply because his needs were met, but because of how this gift demonstrated their great love and concern for Paul and for the furtherance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says that he is rejoicing not simply because his needs were met. Verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. So Paul wants to make it clear that the reason that he is rejoicing greatly is not simply because his difficulties have been alleviated. But Paul says, rather, I have learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. And so that's the thought that we want to focus on this morning. Paul had learned to do what God asks of him with the resources that Paul had at hand. So to be content, as it's found in verse 11, is to find one's resources to be sufficient. Paul has found that he has everything that he needs in order to fulfill God's purpose for his life. Well, how does contentment come about? 
How can we learn to be content or become more content? The first thing I would point out to you in this text is that contentment is learned. Let me say that again. Contentment is learned. And learned primarily through instruction. Notice verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. That's the wording of the NAS, the NIV, and the King James. I have learned to be content. So, that teaches us a number of things. First, the contentment does not come as a natural result of our being a Christian. Just because you are saved this morning does not necessarily mean that you are content this morning. That has to be learned. That has to be appropriated. It's a demonstration of our maturity to actually attain the contentment that Paul is speaking of. So it is not just a matter of having a right relationship with God. It's greater than that. Secondly, it teaches us that contentment does not come as a matter of result of age or its experience. Contentment doesn't come simply with getting older. In fact, for many, the older they become, the less content they become. There may be a growing dissatisfaction with life. There can become a disillusionment, uh, a frustration that all of our effort doesn't seem to have paid off. There can be a, a weariness. There can be a wrestling with mind and purpose. And we all know what the mid-year, midlife crisis is all about. Contentment is not just a product of age, not just a product of experience. But our text says that it is learned. It is learned. And the word that is used here is the word by instruction. So the emphasis is on the teaching as opposed to experience. Now there are some aspects of contentment that's learned by experience, but that's not what's stressed in the beginning of this. It starts off by saying it's right teaching that brings contentment. Teaching about God, about his sufficiency, about his care, about his love, about his provision. So that we get to the end of the passage and Paul is able to say rather offhandedly in a benediction, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The more you understand that, the more you can unpack that, the more you understand those riches, the more you understand that glory, the more that you understand his ability to supply, the more content you will be. The more content you will be. We need to be instructed in contentment. Such things as how to make our ends meet. How to prioritize our needs in life. How to control our desires. We must focus on what we do have and not on what we don't have. I think that that is a tremendous lesson that's taught to us from the book of Corinthians. It's one that I think has kind of transformed my thinking many times about finances. 
And that is, we're to focus on what we have and not what we don't have. If we can realize what we possess, it can lead to a contentment that focusing on what we don't have never will. If we're constantly thinking about what I would like to have, what I am working for, what I want, it breeds a dissatisfaction. It breeds a discontentment. But if I can learn to appreciate what I presently have, it leads to a contentment. But ultimately, it's a focusing upon God's sufficiency. So that we read in the scriptures, do not be anxious for anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and to God that uh, passes, the peace that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The sufficiency of God. So many times we are discontent because we're worried about the future. Worried about how we're going to provide. Worried about how we're going to retire. Worried about how all these things are going to work out that we can't see. Well, trust in God is learned. We need to know of his sufficiency. Then it grows. Next, Paul has learned to be content in any and every circumstance of life. Notice verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content. Now these words, in whatever circumstances I am. The important lesson that is learned from this verse is the contentment is not to be found in our circumstances. If you get anything else from this message, hear this. Contentment is not going to be found in the change of your circumstances. That is a myth. And that is the thought of the world. The myth that says to ourselves, I'll be content when I just have this new house. Once I get this new house, I will be content. That boyfriend or girlfriend, if only I had a boyfriend, if only I had a girlfriend, then I would be content. Or, you know what, when I finally graduate from college, then I will be content. Or when I'm married and get settled down, then I will be content. When I've made my first million, then I will be content. When I, and you can fill in the blank for yourself. Think about it. What have you told yourself that you need in order to be content? What have you said to yourself, I'll be satisfied. I'll be content when. What is that dream? What is that aspiration? What is that intangible that you have set your hopes on that says, wow, now I am content. Now I'm content. Many of you have heard this illustration, but I, for those of you who haven't, I'll share it. Uh, when I was a young person, I've always liked cars. Still do. Always been interested in vehicles. Sports cars, in particular. And when I was 12 years old, I had an aspiration. 
I wanted a brand new Austin Healy when I turned 16. It's a long story uh, of how I got the money, et cetera, et cetera. But I actually got the money to uh, buy a brand new Austin Healy when I was 16 years old. And I used to have pictures of it on my wall, you know, posters and stuff. And, and I was going to just be so delighted. Life was going to be wonderful. It was going to be great. When I finally had what I was longing for for four years, 16 years old. Uh, in fact, I got it about a month before my birthday. I was 15. I couldn't even drive it home from the dealership. My dad had to drive it home and I rode in the passenger car. That's how bad it was. And I sat in the, the car in the driveway and listened to the radio. And by the time I was ready to drive, it had a dead battery. So, but I had what I'd been longing for for four years. And that's all it was going to take to make me happy. Until six months later, I took it back to the dealership and there was sitting a brand new Jaguar. And all of a sudden, my Austin Healey didn't look as nice as this Jaguar did. And I learned at 16, the contentment isn't found in getting that one thing that you always hope for. Because there's something else. There's something newer, there's something better. There's something else. Contentment is not found in our circumstances. That's something that we may hope for, may be material in nature. It may be a relationship. It may be in a person. Or it may be something physical in nature, such as if I lose weight, I'd be content. Or if I got my teeth straightened, I'd be content. Or if I had better looks, or if I had better health, I could be content. It doesn't matter what it is. Put your own answer into the equation. This is what it would take to make me content. And then put a huge exclamation point and say, false. Not true. Not true. Circumstances do not dictate our contentedness. The Christian way to contentment is to arise above our circumstances. For notice verse 11. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. The Christian is to know contentment even in spite of circumstances. Look at verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Everywhere and in all things. So, Paul talks about a contentment even when he is poor or when he is rich. Listen to how Paul describes his condition when he writes to the Corinthians. To this very hour, we go hungry and are thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. 
I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Be like me. I have learned how to handle these things. Paul writes to this second letter of Corinthians. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. You see, here is a recognition of hardship. Hardship. Contentedness is not a denial of hardship. It is not the burying our heads in the sand and saying, oh, everything is wonderful when it's not. Jesus said that we are to take up our cross and to follow him. That is not to say there are no such things as crosses. There are no such things as difficulty. There are no such things as hardships to bear. No, there are hardships. But in the midst of them, we are to experience a contentedness. A contentedness. The reality is that there is no circumstance in life that is going to bring about contentment. The rich and the poor alike are not content. This is both a great theological and practical truth. One that we must take to heart. One that we must learn and hopefully learn early. See, this is part of the instruction. This is part of the teaching that Paul is giving us. And he's telling us that circumstances do not bring contentment. Again, in verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every situation. I know how to be poor. I know how to be rich. He had learned to be content when he was both full and when he was hungry. And we kind of think that if we are full, we're going to be content. And if we're hungry, we're not going to be content. But believe me, you can be full and still be discontented. All you have to think about the baseball player who gets $13 million a year, but is unhappy with his contract. Think with me about Adam and Eve. They're placed in a garden. Paradise. Utopia. A far better situation on earth than any one of us is ever going to experience. They couldn't have had it better. And God said to them, you may eat freely, as much as you want, of any tree in this entire garden. It's all yours. You're welcome to it. Enjoy it. Revel in it. Delight in it. But, there's one tree that you can't eat of. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Adam and Eve didn't think about everything they had. They thought about the one thing they didn't have. 
The one thing that would bring them contentment. The one thing that would bring them joy. The one thing that would bring them delight. If only I could eat of this tree, life would be wonderful. Life was wonderful. They missed it. They failed to see it. They failed to be grateful. They failed to be happy. They failed to be appreciative. And they said, if I could eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then I will be content. And here is the great, great danger of discontentment. And that is that in our discontentment, we will no longer follow God. In the Old Testament. Children of Israel in the wilderness. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would God that we had died in this wilderness. Were it not better for us to return to Egypt. They were discontent. And in their discontentment, they wanted a change in their circumstances. And they said it would be far better off to go back to the land of Egypt than to be in the situation that I'm now in. A situation in which they absolutely knew no contentment before. And if they went back, would not know contentment now. Of course, Adam and Eve did not experience contentment after they eat from the, ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Quite the opposite. They were more discontented than ever. They were more unhappy than ever. They were more miserable than ever. Be aware of the danger of discontentment. Your discontentment in marriage. You're unhappy with your spouse. And to think, you know, what I really need is just to get out of this situation. Get out of this circumstance. And then I can be happy. And then you get out of the circumstance. And if only I had someone that really loved me. If only I had someone that would really care for me. Then I could be happy. Be on guard against the thinking that happiness and contentment comes from a change of circumstance. It doesn't. And people wake up and like Adam and Eve are more discontented than ever. Contentment is not grounded in circumstance. I have learned, Paul says, in whatever situation to be content. In the Proverbs, it says, keep falsehood and lies Far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor thy name. It's not to be found in a change of circumstances. So, where is it found? Well, I'm going to tell you a secret this morning. Look at Philippians 4.12. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity and age in every circumstance. And now these words, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I've learned the secret. 
Now, the word for learned is a different word than, than that which is found in verse 11. Verse 11 is to be instructed. Verse 12 is the word for experience. I've come to know. I've come to experience. I realize today the secret of being filled and going hungry. I know that secret. I know that secret. It's an interesting way in which this unfolds. He refers to it as a, a secret. A secret. The word that is used for secret is a word that actually is used in association with initiation rites of cultic societies. Uh, the best thing that, that we could think of in our day and age, I think, is a secret handshake. You know, that uh, some people have a, a secret handshake. And the only way to know the secret handshake is to become a part of the group. And then once you become a part of the group, then you get in on the secret. Once you're in, then the secret can be told. Well, here the part of the group is a relationship to Jesus Christ. Once you're in, once you know Jesus Christ, then you can get in on the secret. But if you don't know Christ, you don't get in on the secret. Which says one thing that's extremely important, and that is without a saving relationship to Jesus Christ, contentedness can never be experienced. Not real contentedness. It's beyond us. Apart from Jesus Christ, it can never be experienced. It's only for the initiated. It's only for the ones that belong. It's a secret to everybody else. But you're here this morning, and uh, you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, hopefully. So you're ready for the secret. Here it comes. Verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Kind of a letdown, huh? That's it? That's the secret? Thanks a lot. Yeah, that's the secret. That's the secret. And you need to unpack this a minute. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What are the all things? There are certain verses in the Bible that are tremendously abused, and this is one of them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things is not literally all things. Okay? Uh, this is not the verse to put up in the gymnasium when you're laying on your back pumping iron. And you're laying there on your back on, on the bench press with 600 pounds over you, and you look up and you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and put up that 600 pounds. No. No. This is not saying you can do anything that you put your mind to. This is not saying that you can fly if you jump out a window as long as you trust in Jesus Christ. No. What it is saying is you can do everything that God requires and asks of you. You have in Jesus Christ the sufficiency to live under his authority 
and to fulfill His purpose and will for your life. You have, by God's grace, the ability to be content in whatever circumstance you are in. That's the promise. I don't know what you're facing this morning, and I don't want to make light of anything that you're going through, but I want to make bigger than anything you're going through the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, it pales in conjunction with the magnitude of God. People talk about great faith, but actually the Bible talks about little faith. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, the tiniest of all known seeds at the top. If you have this much faith, you can say unto a mountain, remove hence to the other place, and shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. It's not the greatness of our faith, it's the greatness of our God. God is great. And our faith is small and weak. But this great God can meet our small and weak faith. And give us the ability to find his provision to be acceptable, sufficient, enough. Now, let's work through a portion of scripture in which Paul actually illustrates this for us. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As... Paul tells us about his own personal experience. The way in which he came to know this secret. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to start with verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. So he was given a, a thorn in the flesh, uh, some kind of physical malady that came upon him so that he would be humbled and not be overly proud about the revelations that he received. What is that thorn in the flesh? Well, commentators have argued about that. Some have said it's his bad eyesight. We know from the book of Galatians he had terrible eyesight. Uh, it is thought that after the road to Damascus experience, when he was blinded, that uh, he didn't get all of his eyesight back, that uh, he was still almost legally blind, if you will. Uh, certainly, Paul refers to his weak eyes in the scriptures. Maybe it's that. Uh, we know that he, he walked with a limp. We know that he had all kinds of physical maladies. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. The point is, Paul said, I had a physical problem. It was a thorn in the flesh. It was a constant bother to me. So what does he do? Well, quite naturally, he prays for a change in circumstance. Look at verse 8. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I have a physical problem. I don't want this physical problem. I'm not happy with this physical problem. I could be content if I didn't have this physical problem. So, he prays. Repeatedly. Three times. He prays for God to alleviate the physical problem. There's nothing wrong with asking God to alleviate 
our needs. But what happens if he doesn't? God's desire was to be glorified in this circumstance of Paul's life. Verse 7. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. God did not change the circumstance of his life. Verse 9. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to remove it. Whatever this thorn in the flesh was, he carried to the day that he died. It didn't go away. It wasn't removed. Those people who would say, if you have enough faith, you'll always be healed. Here's a good passage. Those that say, well, God's will is always that we be healthy and, and well, and he wants nothing but us to enjoy life. Here's the passage. Paul says, my circumstance didn't change. But notice what does change. Verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul came to experience the power that God gives to graciously accept his will and to live to his honor. Notice verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He got to the place where he was actually thankful for this thorn in the flesh, for what it taught him about his relationship with God. He didn't just acquiesce to it. He just didn't resign himself to it. He didn't just say, oh well, if that's the way life is, I guess I'm going to have to put up with it. He actually embraced it. He actually welcomed it. He was actually thankful for it. What a change in his view about this, quote, thorn in the flesh, unquote. Paul came to experience the power of God that gives to graciously accept his will and to live to his honor and glory. Verse 9, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And the result is a lesson concerning contentment that Paul then applied to the entirety of his ministry. Look at verse 10. Therefore, I am NAS, well content. NIV, I delight in weaknesses. Paul says, I am more than content. That's why NIV translates it, I delight in weaknesses. I am more than just content. I'm actually delighted. God has done such a work in my life but I'm actually rejoicing in this particular situation. Verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Now, notice the gamut. What Paul has learned, experienced, through the thorn in the flesh, he now applies to every circumstance in life. Insults, distress, persecutions, and difficulties. 
That same strength that God gave to him in the midst of that physical ordeal, he was now able to appropriate in all aspects of his life. The lesson he learned here was a lesson that stood him in good stead for all of life. For Paul had learned the secret of experiencing God's grace to cause him to remain faithful to God even in the most difficult circumstances. Verse 10. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Here is the secret. The secret is one of dependence. Dependence. Most people seek contentment through independence. Most people seek contentment by self-sufficiency. I don't need God. I am content. I don't need others. I am content. I don't need anything. I am content. I am my own God. I am my own island. I don't need anyone or anything. That's the world's view of what contentment is. Biblical contentment is not self-sufficiency. It's an acute awareness of dependency. I need God. And the secret is, that's all you need. With God, you have everything. Everything that you need. Because He is able. Notice back to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will give you what you have need of. Sermon on the Mount. Be not anxious about tomorrow. What you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall put on. Do not the Gentiles seek after these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God will take care of you. That's the contentedness. God will give me what I need. That's the contentedness. So often we think that we need this in order to get by. God has given us what we need to get by today. Discontentment comes so often because we're concerned that we won't have what we need tomorrow. And we lose sight of the fact that we have what we need today. Give us this day our daily bread. So, some closing thoughts on contentment. First, Contentment comes not by changing my circumstances, but in exercising our duty to glorify God in the midst of those circumstances. Verse 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the goal. To bring glory to God. And there's nothing that does that like contentment. John Piper has said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. I think that's wonderful. 
God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. What more could be said of God than the fact that we are completely satisfied in knowing Him? He meets all our needs. He takes care of all of our concerns. So, in closing, just a quick jump through the book of Philippians. What does contentment look like? First, it is refraining from murmuring and complaining. Look at Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who has worked in you both to will and do for his good work and pleasure. Do all things without Grumbling or disputing. Don't grumble. Don't dispute. And Philippians goes on to say, and you're going to be like shining lights in the world. One of the things that sets us apart as Christians, interestingly enough, is not the clothes that we wear. It's not the smile that's on our face. It's not the length of our hair or the car that we drive. But it's the fact that we know something that nobody else does. And that is how to be content. And you're going to stick out like a sore thumb at the workplace if you're not murmuring, complaining, whining, and grumbling about your circumstance. Think about it. Think about it. That's what our world does. But that's not what we do. Because we have found that God's grace is sufficient. Secondly, it is rejoicing in the person of God in every circumstance. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. So that when we work through that passage, it wasn't rejoicing in any particular thing. Today it isn't rejoicing in the gift. It's rejoicing in the God who provided the gift. And Paul knows that God will always provide. And so he thanks the Philippians, but says, but I'm okay. Because I have learned of God's faithful provision. Thirdly, it's being even-tempered no matter what we are experiencing in life. Philippians 4, 5, Let your forbearing spirit be made known unto all men. The Lord is near. The forbearing spirit. Uh, when I went through that passage, I said one good translation would be even keeledness. Moodiness. Moodiness. Moodiness is allowing the circumstances of our life to dictate our response. And there are some people that you encounter and you know if they've had a bad day. You know if things have not gone well. And you know if they've had a great day. Because they're way up and they're way down. Philippians 4 says, let your even keel, let your moderation be known unto everybody. May we learn to take life in stride. So that the person we are today is the person who we are tomorrow. And the person we are tomorrow is the person we are the next day. May people see a consistency in us. Because sometimes life is hard.
And sometimes life is easy. But God is always good all the time. God is always faithful all the time. The consistency is God and our relationship to Him. Fourthly, it is not being unduly worried about life situations when our resources are meager or when they are quite large. It's a belief that God will watch over us. It is a belief that God will supply our need. Look at Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We've gone through this so slowly that we have dissected to such a degree that you lose the whole picture. But you see, it all flows out. How can he say, don't be anxious for anything? Because we have the secret. A God who will supply for us in all things. There's not a need to be worried. We can be content. He's going to look after us. And then lastly, contentment brings glory to God by confidently trusting in and relying upon God. Verses 19 and 20. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Philippians ends with a desire that God be glorified in the lives of his people. The primary purpose in Paul writing the book of Philippians is that their lives would be honor and glory to God. What a oddity in some ways that bringing honor and glory to God is going to be identified in this book as being content. Once again, I remind you of the words of John Piper. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I think of hymns such as, He satisfies my every longing. Is that true? Is that true? Have you come to realize that by God's grace, you can be content in the circumstance that you're in? The marriage that you're in? Your singleness that you're in? Your widowhood that you are in? the infirmity that you are in, the financial struggles that you are in, the prosperity that you are in, the bonus that you have received, whatever the circumstance, to say, thank you, God. I really have what I need. Now we have to learn to appropriate it. You see, I'm not asking you to stay in a rotten marriage. I'm asking you to make a rotten marriage a wonderful marriage. Just don't kid yourself by saying the only solution is to get out. The solution is, by God's grace, change. By God's grace, pray for each other. By God's grace, forgive each other. All these great lessons in the book of Philippians. By God's grace, put the other person before yourself.
And we can go through and look at all of these verses anew and afresh that we've already spent all these weeks and even months on. But it all boils down to the right response to the situation that I'm in. And don't tell yourself that my circumstance has to change in order for my heart to change. No. My heart can change no matter what the circumstance. No matter what the circumstance. No matter what the doctor says to you. No matter if you won the lottery or you haven't won the lottery. And just remember, just remember that people who are incredibly wealthy are no more content than the person who has nothing. There's always something bigger and better out there. May we learn to be content in the circumstance that we are in, recognizing, knowing that I have all that I need to do the will of God for this day. Let's pray.